Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. There was a time in my life when the only words I could read were poems. I was a new mom and a new widow. I felt unmoored, and poetry helped me feel connected. Through the window screen, I can see an angle of gray roof and the silence that spreads in the branches of the pecan tree as the sun goes down. That was the beginning of The Sound of One Fork by Minnie Bruce Pratt, read by Dr. Marcella Nunez-Smith. It's a poem about loneliness. Have you been lonely before? I'm Dr. Lucy Kalanithi. I'm a physician and a storyteller and a mother. This show was born out of hardship that my own family faced. Eight years ago, my husband Paul Kalanithi, who was a neurosurgeon and writer, was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. We were young and in love at the start of our careers. In a moment, our future together flattened into just the present. I gave birth to our daughter Katie during that time, and we loved her and each other. And then he was gone. When we think about losing someone, it can be incredibly hard to face it head on. It really helped me when I came to see grief as the flip side of love, that the depth of grief is the depth of love you had for that person. When we're going through something difficult, how we frame the experience is so important. Welcome to Gravity, a show about what becomes possible when we look at hardships differently. In this show, we'll explore how to live and love through tough times. We'll see what happens if we reframe the stories we collectively tell about our hardships. Because when we rewrite those stories, the effects can be transformative, life-changing. In this first episode, let's explore loneliness. Is loneliness something we each have to handle alone? Or is it actually so common that we could even see it as a public health issue? Does being lonely mean you're uncool or unlovable or broken? Or is it a natural signal like hunger or thirst? If we can understand what loneliness truly is, we can come up with new ways to lessen it. You're going to hear from Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy. We'd actually been students at the same med school years earlier, though we never met there. But I'd followed his career over the years, especially his work on loneliness, which I really loved. And then we met, at first somewhere unexpected. I don't know if you remember the only time that I met you in person. It was on an airplane. Do you remember that? I remember this, yeah. (laughs) And I was like, I was walking down the aisle of this airplane, and out of the corner of my eye, I actually thought initially you were a pilot, because... You were wearing your Surgeon General outfit. And then I was like, I've got to go talk to him. I have to say something. Thank you. And I will tell you that it's very common for people to have mistaken me for an airline pilot when I was Surgeon General. So it wasn't just you. Uh, It happened to a lot of people. Uh, In fact, I remember getting on the plane once and I was standing in line waiting to to get in. I just stepped over the threshold. uh, And the woman who was right in front of me looks, turns around and she said, oh, sir, why don't you go go first? And I said, no, I'm happy to wait my turn. 
She said, well, we can't fly the plane without you. And I said, oh my gosh. But that happened probably once a week when I was Surgeon General. Hilarious. <laughs> Vivek served as the 19th Surgeon General of the United States, first under President Obama and then briefly under Trump. Now he's Surgeon General again, and he's co-leading the COVID-19 response for the Biden-Harris administration. When the pandemic came along and the country shut down, Vivek saw that along with an economic recession, we entered a social recession. The reason I think that term is appropriate is because if we understand just the role that human connection plays in our life, if we look at the science behind loneliness that tells us that people who struggle with loneliness have a greater risk of heart disease, a greater risk of dementia and depression, of anxiety, and even premature death. What we quickly start to realize is that whether or not we're connected to other people has profound consequences to our health. Loneliness can affect our health. It sounds so obvious, but recognizing that seems kind of revolutionary. Vivek has spent years putting loneliness front and center, and right now, his work is helping us understand what's at stake in the aftermath of the pandemic when we've had to stay apart. It turns out that how connected we feel in the workplace has a profound impact on how engaged we are, how productive we are, how creative we are in the workplace. It turns out that when our kids are feeling lonely and disconnected in school, that it affects their performance and their learning. And even as a society more broadly, if we think about the state of our public dialogue, I've met very few people who think that the state of our politics and dialogue is healthy right now. Um, we have a lot to be worried about, but even there, our ability to talk to each other, to really dialogue and listen to each other is impaired when we're disconnected from each other. Because when you don't have some sort of relationship or understanding or common regard for another person, it is actually very difficult to listen to them. And if you can't listen, you can't dialogue. If you can't dialogue, then you can't come together to address the big problems that we're facing, whether that's climate change, or whether it's violence in our communities, or whether it's structural inequalities that still persist. And so that's actually why this issue is so important, because it turns out that so much of our life is built on a foundation of human connection. And when that connection is weak, it threatens everything from our workplaces and schools to our health and our politics. And that's why I think the term social recession is so is appropriate, because it is a profound effect. But Vivek goes on to talk about how the flip of that is also true, that focusing on social connection has extraordinary potential to transform our experience of life. While we've had social connection around for millennia, we've largely left it on the table in the modern age as a powerful resource that needs to be cultivated and prioritized and paid attention to. We've moved on to other things that can enhance our performance, if you will, in our health, like technology medical devices, medications themselves. And all those are important. They have their place. But my worry is that they have slowly and insidiously displaced our relationships on the priority list, and they've fallen further and further down. And as that has happened, our connections to each other have been weaker, and we're seeing the fallout of that. This is not something that we learned in medical school. I don't think anybody ever said the word loneliness. And I am so curious because you know, everything you're saying resonates so deeply and seems sort of like profoundly true and also in plain sight at the same time, right? 
but what you're saying is that it's sort of hidden or or not put into practice in the forefront in the way we might need to do in order to thrive. How did you uncover this? Well, actually, because when I became Surgeon General, I, I began with this listening tour where I just went to communities all across the country and sat in living rooms and town halls. Just being totally open. Centers. Like that was... Yeah. I mean, it came about in an interesting way, which um, what happened is the first day I started, there was a team from the Department of Health and Human Services that came to meet with me. And it was a communications team and the political team. They said, look, now that you've been confirmed, we should just get you on every major media network so you can announce your agenda to the country. Tell people what your plans are, what you're going to do. And I was, you know, I thought to myself, I said, I have an agenda. I've put together a priority list. I feel good that it's backed by data. Obesity was a major issue on that list. Substance use disorders and the opiate epidemic were uh, important concerns. There were a number of issues that would, if you heard them, good you'd list. say, that makes sense. You know, that, that sounds good. But you know, it's, some, it's something inside. Sometimes you get an instinct that tells you to go down uh, a different path. And I remember going home after that first day and looking at this very thoughtful communications plan that they had given me and I was going through it and it, none of it felt right. And I just felt, I was like, you know, I don't want to go on Good Morning America or on CBS this morning because it just somehow something didn't feel real about it. And I said, let's just, what if we did no media? I said, what if we actually just went on the road and talked to people and just asked them the simple question, how can we help and just see what they say? So we spent the first few months just traveling around the country and asking people that question. And some of the stories I heard were not shocking, although they were deeply informative. There were stories about opioid use disorder. There were parents who would tell me tragic stories about losing their children to overdoses. There were women who would tell me about uh, their fears uh, around domestic violence and their concerns about intimate partner violence. And there were parents who would also talk about their kids and how they were growing up in neighborhoods with, with so much violence that they worried that their child wouldn't come home the next day. These were terribly sad and concerning stories. But what I did not expect to hear were these threads of loneliness that wove their way through so many of these stories. Uh, people would not come up to me and say, I'm Vivek, I'm Lucy, I'm, I'm lonely. But they would say things like this. They would say, you know, I feel like I have to deal with all of these problems on my own. I feel like if I disappear tomorrow, nobody would care. Or I feel invisible. Vivek saw how common loneliness was. It's doubled since the 1980s. Almost half of Americans report feeling lonely at least some of the time. Young adults feel it most acutely. But even so, it was a revelation to name loneliness as a public health concern, the way Vivek ultimately did. And then he went deeper to reframe the stigma of loneliness. We rarely say out loud, I am lonely. Try it. It feels weird, right? And it's not because we've never felt loneliness. It's because we're conditioned to never actually claim it for ourselves. Loneliness is a common human condition. As much as we might feel that it's something to be ashamed of, as much as our culture may lead us to believe that if you're lonely, you're not likable or that you're broken in some way, the truth is that all of us at some point in our lives feel lonely. And loneliness itself is actually not a disease or a disorder. It's actually a natural signal that our body sends to us, just like hunger or thirst, when we're lacking something that we need for our survival, just human connection. The challenge we run into is when that loneliness persists for a long time, just as if we didn't respond to hunger or thirst with food or water, and it persisted, we would run into physical health problems. 
And this is what we see with loneliness as well. This is why I decided to focus on loneliness because the more I studied it, the more I realized that loneliness is extraordinarily common, but it's also extraordinarily consequential to our health. And when I came out of office and I was thinking, what could I do, what could I contribute to that would help to address the deeper root cause of so many of the other issues that I worked on from addiction to violence to chronic disease, I kept coming back to this topic of loneliness and social connection. I love that you followed your gut on that. It's a big deal to do that. And I can't imagine it was too easy to go back and say, no, I'm going to do none of your media, <laughs> you know, until I know what I, until I know what I really feel. It's beautiful. I think I gave a lot of people, um, I think I stressed out a lot of I'm people sure you over did. my two and a half years <laughs> in the department because I, uh, it, you know, I may not have, I just certainly didn't have all the knowledge about everything, but one thing I, I had learned to do was to, to try to trust my gut. You know? So when it would tell me to do things like this, and there were many other instances like this over the next two and a half years, I would try to follow it. But you know, sometimes that meant ruffling some feathers. That was worth it ultimately because of where Vivek ended up next with new solutions that he could share using his platform as a leader in public health. Now it's time for a quick ad break. We'll be back in a minute. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has been lonely and difficult for so many of us, and I love that Vivek helps us see that those feelings aren't bad or wrong. They're part of our human experience. But sometimes we need some extra help to cope. One of the things that's helped me over the years is working with a therapist. That's why I'm glad to share that this episode is brought to you by BetterHelp, an online counseling platform. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist to connect with online, privately, and safely. You'll be able to start communicating with them in less than 48 hours, no matter where you are in the world. You can also message your therapist and receive timely, thoughtful responses. As a Gravity listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com gravitypod. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash gravity pod. Welcome back to this episode of Gravity. So after his service as the 19th Surgeon General, Vivek wrote a book called Together, The Healing Power of Human Connection. In its pages, he shares his own acute struggles with loneliness, which started in elementary school. And I wanted to hang out with other kids, but because I was so shy, I found it hard to approach them. And the more I held back, the more excluded I became. And it became a self-fulfilling prophecy, but it also became a self-reinforcing cycle. And the most painful time of the day for me was lunchtime, when I would walk into the cafeteria and not know if there was somebody to sit next to. It wasn't easy, and it certainly impacted my self-esteem, which was already shaky, you know, at that point. You know, the irony is that I was deeply loved at home, and I knew it. I felt a real sense of belonging at home. I had no question that my parents' love for me was unconditional. Uh, I, I loved being at home, but school was a very different matter. But I didn't tell them because I was ashamed. You know, and I even remember this one time it came up uh, with my father. He had noticed that I wasn't hanging out with other kids on the playground, that I was just standing by myself. And he said, why are you standing by yourself? How come you're not playing with other kids? And I, I, I didn't know what to say. I was just silent and he kept asking me and I, I still didn't say anything because I was just feeling so ashamed in that moment. 
But it was also interestingly a moment where I realized that the idea of a child being lonely was very foreign to him because he had grown up in India as my mother had. And the idea of being lonely was just not something mm, that came up. Wouldn't even occur to him. Right, because there were so many layers of connection yeah. with your family. There was your extended family. There were your, the school was sort of an extension of the village. All the village families knew each other and had been there for generations. You were part of something and that was hard to escape. And so it was a very foreign sort of a feeling uh, or, or notion that uh, I would be lonely in school. You've been really transparent about your own experiences in a way that I think is really sort of um, helps melt away stigma, you know? Even in the things you just described, I think there's this real connection between being lonely and feeling like you're the only one who feels that way, or there's something wrong with you because you feel like that, you're unlovable because you feel like that. I feel like you've sort of pulled off the great loneliness reframe in a way that helps a lot of people. Hearing Vivek's story helps normalize loneliness. I think a lot of us can also relate to the way Vivek felt lonely in one setting while being connected in others. He unpacks that in his book, and it's one of the most illuminating sections in it. There are different types of loneliness. The three types of loneliness I describe are intimate loneliness, which is our connections with confidants, people who know us and who we know who we're absolutely comfortable around. I talk about relational loneliness, which happens when we are, are missing friends, so people we may spend weekends or evenings with, who we might go out to dinner with, enjoy fun times with. And the third is collective loneliness. And that's when we lack a sense of community, a lack of, a lack a sense of shared identity that may come from a common cause that we work on, a company that we're passionate about, that we work for, a faith organization that we're a part of. And the reason in these three types of loneliness are important to understand is that we need all three types of connections, intimate connections, friendships, as well as these community connections. And when we don't have one of them, we can feel lonely, which explains why you can be in a, in a wonderful marriage with an amazing, amazing partner and still feel lonely if you don't have the friendships and community connections that you need. And if you don't understand these three types of loneliness, you might be led to believe if your spouse is lonely, that somehow that's a reflection on you. And maybe you're not providing them with what you, they need. Maybe you fail them as a spouse, but that's not necessarily the case. Vivek ran into that himself. When he was first Surgeon General, his marriage was great, but he was lonely because he was missing another type of connection. And so while I had this wonderful connections with my wife and my, my family, I was missing a sense of community. I was missing the friendships. Uh, that I had in years past, but that had dwindled as I had neglected them during my time in government. Intimacy, friendship, and community. In the end, we need all three to feel whole. There's also a sort of fourth loneliness, a fourth missed connection. It's a loneliness within yourself, a lack of connection to who you truly are. To find that connection to self, we actually need solitude, time alone. It might seem odd in a conversation about loneliness to say that solitude is good, but solitude and loneliness are different. The pandemic made a lot of us feel that difference acutely. We were cut off from our usual social networks, but at the same time while being cooped up, it can be hard to find peaceful solitude. As it turns out, getting connected to ourselves on a deeper level is what makes us ready to connect authentically with other people. What brings you the good kind of solitude? Because also when we're preoccupied with how we're coming across, 
it's actually hard for us to listen to what the other person is, is saying. So this is why our connection to self is so important. And solitude is an important part of this because often it's moments of quiet in our life when we're by ourselves, but in a, in a happy, joyful, or peaceful context, which is what makes it separate and different from loneliness. It's those moments which can be replenishing. Those can be the moments when we recenter. And those moments are key to our own self-worth. And what society tells us in many different ways is that our value as a human being is tied to how successful we are. And our success in turn is tied to our ability to acquire one of three things, either power, wealth, or fame. And whenever someone hits one of those three categories or all three, we say they've made it. They're successful. They're someone to emulate and look up to. But the reality is that our worth as a human beings is much more intrinsic. It's not determined by the size of our bank account. It's actually determined by our intrinsic ability to give and receive love. That's what determines our worth as a human being. And the most clear way that we experience that love is through relationships. We all need to be seen as who we are. We all want to know that we matter and we all want to be loved. And when we have those, when we're seen and we know that we matter and when we're loved, we don't feel lonely. We feel like we're a part of something. I love that Vivek's work led him to the topic of love. It reminds us that just like loneliness isn't actually about unlovability, public health isn't actually about statistics. It's about real people's lives, real people's value. But it doesn't end there. Reframing loneliness as a public health concern sets us up for actionable solutions. But before we act, let's first be fully present. You know, there's so much emphasis in society around action and around talking, right? So if you're a friend and you come to me and you say, gosh, I got, got this big problem, this big issue happened today. Then my mind might instinctively go, okay, how can I fix Lucy's problem? That's how I'm going to help her. I'm going to fix, I'm going to fix. Um, I think this is something us guys do uh, particularly, but, but that notion of action being the source of, of meaning and value is very, very prominent in society. But I think there's so much healing in just listening and being present and witnessing uh, someone else. And what we're doing is not just giving them space to talk and express themselves, but we're allowing them to feel seen. And that's why the gift of our full attention is one of the most powerful and extraordinary gifts we can give to another human being. And it's why we were taught, you and me, Lucy, and so many other doctors in medical school, that even when you run out of medicines and you run out of procedures to do, you still have the ability to contribute to someone's healing just by showing up by being present, by listening to them deeply. And I was reminded of that so often by these extraordinary people I met uh, around the world who, through their own example, were doing just that. They were healing by listening. Healing by listening. That's something we can all do. Listen with our full presence. Make the people in our lives feel truly heard. Vivek has some simple reminders about how to do that, even during quick conversations. One is to think about how we spend our time with people in two ways. One is ensuring that we are spending at least 15 minutes you know, a day with people we love, whether that's conferencing with them on the phone, 
or video calling them or whether that's emailing them, simply saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. I want to know how you are. But the other piece of time is not just quantity of time, but quality of time. And here, even if we don't spend a single minute more with the people we love, if we can improve the quality of that time by reducing distraction when we talk to others, that can have a powerful impact on the quality of that conversation and how connected we feel to them. You know, I've been guilty, like many people, of calling a friend on the phone to catch up and then somehow ending up flipping through my inbox and refreshing my social media feed and Googling a question that just came to mind. And oh, by, also, by the way, also of watching the, you know, the basketball game on the background. You know, like, yeah, we yeah, have yeah, the ability yeah. to do so many things at once or we have the option. It I sounds crazy when you say it out loud, right? It sounds crazy. It sounds totally yeah. crazy, but it's, it's, like, it's sort of the nature of our multitasking uh, hyper-scheduled lives. But the reality is we can't multitask very well. You know, talking with Vivek, it was clear that he works hard on these strategies himself. We were on Zoom, but it felt like he was looking right at me. He went on to describe another big solution to loneliness that we can implement on a personal level. This one was a little surprising, but profound. It turns out, and this surprised me in the writing of this book, but I found that service is a powerful antidote to loneliness. And the reason is because when we're lonely, we actually experience an elevation in threat level. And because we feel threatened and unsafe, our focus shifts inward toward ourselves. And as it lasts for a long time, loneliness can also erode our self-esteem and we come to believe we're lonely because we're not likable. And this actually contributes to this downward spiral where loneliness begets more loneliness. But service is powerful because it breaks that cycle. It shifts the focus from someone, from ourselves to someone else but it also reaffirms for us that we have value to bring to the world. And so if we think about service in a time of COVID-19, we may not be able to go to the soup kitchen or volunteer for Habitat for Humanity, but what we can do is we can check on a neighbor to see if they're okay. We can totally. call up a friend who we knew was struggling with loneliness or with depression before this all came about, because in this moment, we are all struggling with something. COVID-19 has turned our lives upside down. It's created extraordinary hardship in many people's lives, um, but it's changed all of our lives. And even though we may be in different boats, we're in the same storm. In the end, Vivek is an advocate for reshaping our own lives around connection and doing the same for the communal spaces we share. Now, Lucy, if, if I had one simple credo, it would be three words. It would be put people first. Just those three words. Because when we put people first in our own lives, we make different decisions about where we put our time and our energy and our focus. When we put people first as a society, then we design workplaces to support human connection. We design curricula in schools to provide children with the social emotional learning that they need to form healthy relationships. And even more broadly, when we put people first, we make it easier to dialogue with others. We design policies that truly support uh, relationships. Society looks different when people are at the center. Society looks different when people are at the center. The pandemic made us rethink so many things and reframing loneliness is a lesson I want to hold on to. The vaccine isn't an off switch to our hardships. We can't just emerge unscathed back to the way things were. 
Rebuilding a society with people at the center, that's our collective work at home, in public, and in policy. Let's remember what Vivek says. We are not alone. We are not broken. There's work to do and a less lonely, more connected future right around the corner. In every episode of Gravity, we have a poem. It helps me really let in new ways of thinking and feeling about hardship. So let's return now to The Sound of One Fork by Minnie Bruce Pratt with her reflections on loneliness and solitude. I am waiting for a lover. I am alone in a solitude that vibrates like the cicada in hot mid-morning, that waits like the lobe sassafras leaf just before its dark green turns into red, that waits like the honeybee in the mouth of the purple lobelia. While I wait, I can hear the random clink of one fork against a plate. The woman next door is eating supper alone. She is 60 perhaps, and for many years has eaten by herself the tomatoes, the corn, and okra that she grows in her backyard garden. Her small metallic sound persists as quiet almost as the windless silence, persists like the steady random click of a red bird cracking a few more seeds before the sun gets too low. She does not hurry. She does not linger. Her younger neighbors think that she is lonely, but I know what sufficiency she may possess. I know what can be gathered from year to year, gathered from what is near to hand, as I do elderberries that bend in damp thickets by the road, gathered and preserved, jars and jars shining in rows of claret red, made at times with help, a friend or a lover, but consumed long after, long after they are gone and I sit alone at the kitchen table. And when I sit in the last heat of Sunday, afternoons on the porch steps in the acid breath of the boxwoods, I also know desolation. The week is over, the coming night will not lift. I am exhausted from making each day. My family, my children live in other states, the women I love in other towns. I would rather be here than with them in the old ways. But when all that's left of the sunset is the red reflection underneath the clouds, when I get up and come in to fix supper in the darkened kitchen, I am often lonely for them. In the morning and the evening, we are by ourselves the woman next door and I, still we persist. I open the drawer to get out the silverware. She goes to her garden to pull weeds and pick the crook neck squash that turn yellow with late summer. I walk down to the pond in the morning to watch and wait for the blue heron who comes at first light to feed on minnows that swim through her shadow in the water. She stays until the day grows so bright that she cannot endure it and leaves with her hunger unsatisfied. She bows her wings and slowly lifts into flight, 
gray and slate blue against a paler sky. I know she will come back. I see the light create a russet curve of land on the farther bank where the wild rice bends heavy and ripe under the first blackbirds. I know she will come back. I see the light curve in the fall and rise of her wing. The Sound of One Fork is read by Dr. Marcella Nunez-Smith, who's chair of the United States COVID-19 Equity Task Force. Vivek and Marcella co-chaired the Biden-Harris Transition's COVID-19 Advisory Board, and she's the founding director of Yale Med's Equity Research and Innovation Center. Thank you to Dr. Nunez-Smith and to Dr. Vivek Murthy. How perfect that they are leading us forward to health and connection. And thank you so much for listening. I hope you take some time to reach out to someone if you're feeling alone or if you think they are. Imagine all of us reconnecting with intention and the healing that happens when we do. In this season of Gravity, we'll explore what becomes possible when we look at hardships in new ways, from the climate crisis to the injustice of illness to the myth of the ideal family. And we'll share a poem each time. Thanks so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring today's episode. We all deserve to be heard and to have space to process our hardships, whether you've lost a loved one or you're processing anger or trauma. BetterHelp is equipped to handle your needs. With BetterHelp, you'll be paired with a professional therapist to meet with privately and securely from your own home and from anywhere around the world. Financial aid is available. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. As a listener to Gravity, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash gravitypod. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash gravitypod. This episode of Gravity was produced by Maddie Foley and Cynthia Pimentel with help from Taylor Williamson for Wonder Media Network. Original music is by Rachel Wardell. Rika Murthy is our editor. Jenny Kaplan is our executive producer. You can follow us on Twitter at WMN Media and on Instagram at WMN.media. And you can follow me, Lucy, on Twitter at RocketGirlMD. Please take time to share Gravity with a friend and to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Special thanks to the Commonwealth Club of California and the Jewish Community Center of San Francisco for hosting this episode's initial conversation. Before you go, there's a new podcast from the TED Audio Collective that you might enjoy. It's called Body Stuff with Dr. Jen Gunter. She's an OBGYN and pain medicine physician, and she's busting the lies we're told and sold about our health. Is it possible to boost the immune system? Do we really need eight glasses of water a day? She unpacks some of the surprising cultural backstories behind medicine and explores how the body actually works. Find and follow Body Stuff with Dr. Jen Gunter wherever you're listening now.